Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to Tag Team, the Pokemon Trading Card Games premiere podcasting duo. My name is Riley Holbert, joined as always by my good, good friend, Mr. JW Crewall. JW, how's it hanging today? Hey, man. Another week, man, in the uh, books. Yeah, Just for real. Like, every week that I still have a job and i don't know man it's just like getting what <laughs> it's like one week closer to japan too you know it's just, oh, I'm just yeah. getting excited for the trip my wife i know right putting on the we're putting on the final you know finishing touches for the uh for our itinerary over the week that she is there so it'd be really really excited i'm just looking forward to it so much i mean i've said that so many times but i mean, it's gonna uh, be so awesome really. right like it's i feel like it's so many Pokemon players in particular, I feel like so many of them like resonate with the idea of like visiting Japan and doing all these fun things. The birthplace of our of our hobby, right? And it's such a cool, mm-hmm. like, fascinating area in general. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited to experience it. I'm curious on that itinerary, what is the the line item on it that you're most excited about? We have a few high end restaurants booked. Very nice. That uh yeah that we're really looking forward to to seeing and then of course you just have all the the shrines and things the the religious centers in japan which are very beautiful that we're looking forward to going to and um we have a nice little train ride scheduled that i'm looking forward to so just a few different things that i think will make for a really unforgettable experience that sounds pretty unforgettable. Did you manage to get into the the Kirby Cafe? Did you get a reservation there? The Kirby Cafe? No, I did not. Yeah, there's like a Kirby like restaurant in Tokyo. Uh, uh. See, my I only played one Kirby game, and it was when I was, I think, nine years old, and I got my tonsils removed, and it was <laughs> the Kirby Game Boy game. And I just remember it was, I think it was in black and white i don't remember it having color maybe it did have color and i'm misremembering but it was kind of a boring game and <laughs> i would beat it like multiple times while shoveling down my superman ice cream <laughs> um well the original kirby game was like monochromatic on the on the game boy so okay um maybe that maybe that was the one that yeah, it was it might have been but um, no i did not i feel like i i missed out on pretty much every lottery opportunity my only chance to go to the world store is going to be that thursday night slot that competitors get so i'm i'm really nervous because yeah i lost my lotteries too to be fair yeah it, i mean it's rough man i think this world's and this is kind of what i'm hyped about as well um but this world's is going to be i think just insane with the energy like i think there are going to be so many people oh, i yeah. think that you know it's just going to be like everyone's going to be frantic and like searching for product and trying to get into the venue and <laughs> trying to do all these things and see all these things and there's going to be tons of you know things to do and see and i i'm just excited for the energy to experience the energy of the whole event yeah i'm totally with you man i think it'll be a a ton of fun out there um well you know i think maybe it's a good time then to to start talking about the event and you know as we talk about the event uh, we had an interesting development <laughs> since we last talked world's logistics and that is the yokohama open is now canceled so just to catch everyone up to speed uh every year at the world championship they have an open the open is meant to be sort of a a first chance qualifier tournament if you will so it's it's kind of like a mini regional slash league cup uh, played at the world championship where you can acquire regional level championship points and get a ridiculous amount of prizing tickets. Um, it's a pretty popular event at every single world championship. Many people actually travel with the intention of specifically going to the open every single year. Uh, and TPCI announced only just a few short days ago that that will be canceled at the Yokohama World Championship. And the fallout has been immense. JW, tell us about sort of what you've been seeing in the online space of post-cancel. Well, you, you bring up a really good point because they announced the Yokohama Open with dates and a structure weeks ago. And then just last week, they said, oh yeah, by the way, that is canceled. Weren't very transparent. I mean, I wouldn't expect them necessarily as the company to be 
transparent as to why it got canceled. But, you know, at this point, we're just left to speculate. So my thoughts are just that there probably was some kind of miscommunication between the Japanese team and, you know, that's that's kind of handling all the the venue and, and things like this and the American team that's kind of running all the competitive well, I say American, but the the international Pokemon Company international team that's running all the um, event logistics, and it's just really a shame because, like you said, people travel to the World Championships so that they can play in the Open. Because for me, I, I mean, honestly, I've gotten one, like probably two Worlds invites off the back of a solid performance in the Open, and just being there for the tournament has allowed me to maybe not have to grind as hard during the season, not yeah. have to find another regional space. Yeah. And say it's a regional, right. <laughs> you know, and, and if I'm already going to be there, it's already some, you know, a networking event or a hangout event, or I'm playing in day one and it just didn't go my way. That is a huge, huge deal for a lot of competitors. Yeah. And I know I would be playing in the open, you know, if I, if I don't make it into day two and there was still an open, like, yeah, I would be absolutely hundred percent. Like I'm already there. It's a regional level event, gets me on track for next season. And it, this is just a, a big deal. I saw the news and at first I thought it was a joke. I'll be honest with you because I saw a screenshot of the tweet. The <laughs> Jeet, oh, if you will. And I thought it was a joke. I thought somebody had photoshopped it. And then I went and I checked and it was legit. And I could not believe that they would release all this information about it only to have it canceled three weeks before the event. It doesn't yeah, really make sense intense, to me. Right? Like, really makes you wonder what happened to have that communication breakdown that the event got canceled entirely because it's been something that has happened for the last 10 years or so. Yeah, I mean, it's been a, a staple at, at the World Championship. I also, to be honest, when I saw that it was canceled, I was almost like a little impressed that they announced it this far in advance. Like, I feel like when stuff like this happens with the Pokemon company, you find out like at that the tournament, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so when I saw it, I was almost elated that we got this far ahead of it. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. Cause that would be something too. Like I wouldn't, I hate to say it, but yeah, I wouldn't put it past it. Like the weekend of, or the, you know, yeah, days like three days before that's like, that's totally up like our alley at Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it makes you wonder, you know, maybe they didn't want to allocate the space to the open and they just recognize that, you know, maybe a little too late, but it's just a shame. I, I think if they had not had an open this year, then okay. A bummer, but some logistical concern, but the, again, the fact that they announced it, people made lights and you know book travel yeah. with the intent of playing in the open and then to just have it canceled i mean it, it's just really a head scratch and i i feel bad for the players that um you know ultimately wanted to go to this event made plans to go to this event and to see it get canceled now on the flip side of that in the future you know for players that are thinking about ever playing in an open if it ever comes back you know in future world tournaments um please don't make all these travel plans to go to a lottery style tournament like this uh you know hopefully you're going to a different country to experience the culture and see some of the sites that you couldn't see in your home country um you know that said it just really is a shame because yeah you know people bought flights and lodging and arranged made arrangements to to get into the open like we've had in, in past years yeah that's that's a really valid point and and one um I think people like kind of make it online, but I think they're almost brutalist about it in like a mean spirited way, like genuine advice. Like you should enjoy the experience of going to these kinds of events. So if you're planning to go to an event like the world championship, your trip shouldn't be based around like the open, right? There's all sorts of like awesome things that are going on every single year at the world championship. And if all that to, if all that to you just boils down to the open, I think you're missing out on sort of the bigger picture, so to speak. 
Um, so it's like, I don't know. We, we, I don't hate you if you're traveling there for the open, but like, I, I think you should re-examine your priorities at these. <laughs> oh, I don't hate, I don't hate you either for the record. If that was the implication, Riley. No, it's, I don't think it was. I, I'm just exp- like, cause I was yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. coming off a little harsh. Like, yeah, that's not no, my it's like, yeah. I mean, you do see that on uh, Twitter discourse, right? Where it's like, um, you know, people are almost happy that it got canceled because it makes other people miserable that bought their plane ticket to go play in the open, you know, and right. Like the vindictiveness of it. Yeah. The vindictiveness of it all. Right. It's like, ah, I told you so. Or like, I'm smarter than you, but I mean, I don't know, like with Pokemon announcing it with there being a decade of history of this event, like I really don't fault those players for having made arrangements to go to play in the open because realistically in any other year that they've had it it's all gone along smoothly that said if you're going to another country and you know make make sure that it's a once in a lifetime opportunity and make sure that just because this tournament didn't happen that you're not you know depressed about you know going to japan you know going to see something like this shouldn't soil your whole experience you know yes Right. I think right. that's what we're trying to say in a more uh, concise way. Yeah. And, and in some ways, it might be even better for your mental health. <laughs> Honestly. You know, look at the silver lining. Think like, about the guardy mirror you just dodged. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you should be happy, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, I, 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 I don't mean that in any mean-spirited way, again, for people that are listening that did make those arrangements. But, um, yeah, it should be, it should be fun. Please make sure that you get out and see Japan because there's a lot to see and do, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of things to take advantage of while you're over there. Definitely. Well, let's segue then into talking a little bit more about the, the tournament proper. The Open is canceled, but the World Championship's still on. So, Worlds is just a few short weeks. I, you know, I, I don't know the exact day you're traveling out there. It's like what the ninth, ninth year? Is that right? No, Eighth? I'm going to be there the 6th. I think I'm getting in the day before you guys. Are you like are you leaving earlier or leaving on the same time? I thought there was like some difference. Well, I'm leaving on the 5th and then getting in on, on the 6th. Oh yeah, so you're there, you're there day before. Yeah, okay. Yes. I knew yeah, there was so like I'll scope some it out and and let you guys know. Yeah, yeah, what the deal is with the country of Japan. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. I'll I'll scope out the whole the landscape. The whole thing for you. For you. <laughs> Just figure it all out yeah. for me. Um, yeah, so all that to say, like, we're traveling out to Japan in really not that long (laughs) from now. So the tournament's right around the corner, uh, and it's time to, like, really hunker down and figure out what the heck is going on in the post-NAIC world. I think it's been interesting because the format does feel like it's evolved since NAIC, and I, I feel like it it could have easily sort of been stagnant. Everyone's just like, yep, Guardi's the thing and that's it. Yeah. And one, one may even say it's Paldea evolved. Okay. Yeah, it might. <laughs> um, yeah, man, that's can I get sick. The, can I get the discord applause? Yeah, man. Button? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but, um, you know, usually usually at like a big tournament like NAIC, you expect people to bring out all the stops, right? And to have mm-hmm. gone dug under every corner to have found the perfect, like optimal version of the format. And it, it feels like there's been significant change since then, uh, which has been really interesting to see. So JW, as we prep for the world championship, what are some of the, the major things that have stuck out to you? Uh, both like what's changed since NAIC, what's stayed the same, like, What's on your radar? Yeah, absolutely. That is, you know, the question that everybody's trying to answer right now, obviously. But I think one of the general trends that I'm seeing, uh, both in my personal experience and then also in the online metagame, is just the relative decline of Gardevoir. Yeah. We've kind of talked on this podcast how we still feel like Gardevoir has a lot of tools, um, that we still feel like it's arguably the best deck in the format um i think in Mm -hmm. a vacuum it certainly is just again with all the different tools that it has available to it but 
I'd just say that the metagame in general is not particularly favorable to it. And it has a lot of these, um, you know, it has a lot of issues with some of these higher HP decks that we're seeing, the Arceus Umbreons of the world, um, and even some of the faster decks uh, that we're seeing, some of these mm -hmm. Turbo Lost Box lists or or Lugia lists or uh, Chen Pao that can kind of pick off some of the some of the attackers, um, you know, before you get fully set up. So I think there are some things that um, really kind of scare me off of playing Gardevoir, and I think that's reflected in the general uh, metagame of the online tournaments. Um, and just again, in my own personal experience, it has really not felt that great to bring Gardevoir to tournaments. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. And I think one thing that sticks out to me as well, and we mentioned this last week, is just Gardevoir is not the deck that you can play and feel 100% confident in how the clock will play out for you, mm. which is like such a huge factor at Worlds, right? More so than other tournaments because of the structure. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just feel personally, I feel heavily dissuaded from playing Gardevoir. It feels like the meta is kind of generally hostile to it. Um, and it doesn't feel like sort of the like real world aspect of the metagame call either. Um, you know, I, I feel like if I were to pick something right now, like Gardevoir would not even be on my shortlist, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think for me, I've put in enough reps with Gardevoir that I, I don't think I can ever truly like leave it off of the table. But again, like you were saying, like the meta is not particularly favorable towards it. And that scares me a little bit. If we think about Gardevoir's great matchups, uh, one of the issues that I think Gardevoir um, is running into when we talk about, you know, the shape of the metagame right now is the prevalence of kind of two cards, I would say. Uh, and they both are played often in the same list. But um, Giratina is... Uh, can be a problem for Gardevoir just um, uh, being able to go through multiple V-stars like that and then in combination with Path to the Peak and so you're seeing a lot of these Gardevoir lists that um, you know you're trying to fit in so many different things that often you have you know maybe four stadium mounts but how does that really help you when you get Ionode or Roxanne to two and a path gets stuck and mm -hmm. they're able to one-shot your main attacker you know, it just gets really hairy with the combination of Giratina and a Disruption card and Path of the Peak. I think those are um, some of the matchups. So I think particularly of Arceus Giratina as being, you know, workable, certainly, but not like fantastic. And then in that matchup, you're also like getting judged heavily, too. Like in the early game, you can get really disrupted. Uh, but then yeah. also Giratina Lost Box with that late game Path Roxanne combo. A little bit more winnable, certainly. But, um, you know, just that combo is like a tried and true method. You know, we've seen in, in formats past of like Roxanne Path, the Mew deck or, you know. Right. So it's like it's it's always been around this kind of combo and now it's starting to catch up to the Gardevoir decks. Yeah, I don't know if you've had the same experience, but whenever I play Gardevoir lately, I feel like I'm always just like a little bit short of what I feel like I need to be doing on given yeah. turns to deal with these decks that go for the throat. <laughs> on Gardevoir, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, oh man, if I could have like this one extra card every turn, like I'd be chilling. But you know, that's that's the deal breaker, right? That, that that's the make or break that decides that that game. Yeah, totally. And and again, like I said, I'm not like completely hundred percent, you know, gonna like sway the group against playing Gardevoir, but um just even in my my own practice and testing with the deck online like it's just felt really hard to beat some of these path roxanne combos or path mm -hmm. judge iono combos um and then you just have some of these kind of you know if you have an awkward start like you can just get rolled by some of these more aggressive decks and i think that's kind of what we're seeing right now in the metagame as a whole that's been a little less favorable towards gardevoir is just like you're seeing these either arceus decks that are a very consistent that apply that very consistent turn two on pressure mm -hmm. or it's like a very fast you know like a mew deck or it's um you know a lost box like a lost box garatino which can also start throwing attackers out there starting from the first turn so it just it feels a little rough you also have of course lugio which is that consistent turn two pressure like there's just a lot of things where it, it makes 
it makes it really hostile for Gardevoir right now, and I haven't been liking running it online or in person. Yeah, I mean, definitely if Gardevoir could get like a f extra free turn <laughs> and just evolve yeah. all the Curlias, like yeah. man, that'd be great. <laughs> that feels sick. <laughs> so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you you referenced Arceus. Arceus was also kind of a key player in our conversation last week, right? Uh, sort of a tried and true staple, something we're really heavily considering in our group uh, is really just running back the Arceus. Um, you know, we saw last year at the World Championship that the Arceus tech for the mirror is ultimately like what won. Um, that's kind of right where we at last year. It's seeing similar thoughts start to brew this year. What are what are some of your impressions on Arceus compared to Gardevoir or or generally speaking, JW? I think Arceus is a great play. Yeah, I think like you said, last year at the World Championships, we saw, you know, a lot of Palkia, which played right into an Arceus Pika into Arceus Pika's favor. But you know, Azul winning NEIC with Arceus, um, you know, you, you really can't go wrong with a deck that just won a major tournament in the same exact format. Um, and obviously this year Arceus didn't win, but you know, you could argue that it maybe should have or maybe does more often. I don't certainly I don't have know. the potential to. You know, certainly has the potential to win, absolutely. So, you know, maybe some minor modifications for Arceus to potentially beat the mirror. Um, you could think about something like Giratina. Again, Giratina is like this card we keep referencing, but it is very, very good right now because it can one shot V stars and it doesn't get one shot by most other V stars in return. So a very good card right now. We're gonna just keep referencing it now and into the next cast so just like if you feel like you know everything about giratina then you know feel free to shut us off but and maybe don't invite them to shut us off maybe maybe oh, listen yeah, in yeah, just okay, to be no, sure no, no. Keep, keep, stay out stay out stay out. please please yeah um, just to be sure that you know everything maybe keep listening but <laughs> yeah yeah definitely definitely but um you know like you said like the the arceus pikadex from naic to worlds really just included a fighting attacker as a way to one shot the Arceus. So if you're looking at that, you know, you could also include your own fighting attacker this year. Um, and, you know, you're playing your Arceus Umbreon because dark is a very good type to have right now, just generally. Uh, and then you play your third kind of counter card for the Arceus mirror. Right. And then I think that's like a very reasonable strategy as well. So yeah, Arceus, I like a lot the core, I think should just stay Arceus Umbreon and then you have your auxiliary attacker. Um, but you also look at, you know, Arceus Giratina with Bibarel and Squovit as being that sort of, um, you know, consistent player in the meta. I, I don't quite like it that much just because it feels a little weak. It has fewer tricks up its sleeve. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, those, those are certainly things that are still on the table for our testing group. Yeah, I I certainly pers like just pure personal sentiment. I gravitate a little bit more towards the Arceus Umbreon, like countery style Arceus decks uh, mm. over the V Barrel versions for kind of the same reasons that you said. The V Barrel versions uh, feel a little less tricky, feel a little more straightforward in what they're doing game to game, and I think I would prefer to have a a little bit more of an edge factor in in my Pokemon lineup and. And my supporter lineup rather than uh, just playing it blitzed out consistency. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay, so Arceus. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, JW. I think Arceus is still kind of the top of my radar. It's like the mm -hmm. deck that I'm most seriously considering sleeping up at the World Championship. Um, but again, not not the only factor. Another big contender has been Lost Box. And one thing that I think has been really interesting is we've been seeing more especially like in these online tournaments and even league challenges and league cups, we've been seeing a lot more of like lost box with Kyogre of all things, like popping yeah. back up. Um, but certainly lost box in general, particularly these turbo builds is sort of a general staple in the metagame. I'm curious if you have any thoughts about lost box as it compares to, you know, what position it had at, at NAIC where it kind of floundered. Um, sure. Looking sure. forward. Sure. Well, we're seeing the trend there is that you're seeing a lot less turbo loss box than um, you're seeing of loss box Tina. And I think the reason for that is the turbo loss box. Um, it, it's really not that like practical to expect the turn one knockout 
with a Dragonite. And that's right. really even when your deck's like blitzed out for it, you know? Yeah, unless, yeah, but like even I've tried like Squawkabilly in the deck um, to just again go for that hyper aggressive turn one, but it's still just so many cards that you need to pitch. And inevitably, you're going to ditch resources that you would want in the late game with that you know hyper aggressive yeah. or even trekking shoes you know or or the combination of both like you're just you're making your deck a little bit thin of like core good cards in favor of these auxiliary like frill speed cards <laughs> that um you ultimately if you can get past those early turns you really just don't have the gas for the later turns and i find myself with the turbo builds like running out of energy late even if i do get that first turn knockout or that first turn attack right it feels like if they're able to weather that early storm that you don't have the stopping power which i think is why people have been trying kyogre again is mm -hmm. to kind of get that x factor back um yeah. but yeah. it sounds like you're of the opinion at least that that is not enough I ogre it, it intrigues me. I haven't put much time into it, but I have put time into turbo lost box and it just does not feel a particularly good in this V star heavy metagame because you're going to have to take so many knockouts over the course of a game. And you just, again, ultimately end up running out of steam. If they can respond to your early Dragonite in some way as an Arceus deck or, um, you know, really is any two prize deck i don't know like urshifu and Teleon, um arceus or the two you know kind of multi-prize decks that i mm -hmm. think about um you know if they're able to respond to that early dragonite and weather that storm the turbo lost box just doesn't have that late game potential so i think about with lost box like how do you improve that well in steps giratina v star and that's the card that it gives you a little bit of early game flexibility. Like Giratina V is not a bad attacker on that second turn of the game or, you know, first turn of the game, if you go uh, second and it has that, um, you know, it has that late game potential relatively easy to set up, can take mm -hmm. one shots um, in a couple different ways. Like it is kind of everything that lost box wants in terms of a consistent, strong attacker into the late game. And then of course it has a lot more HP than Dragonite does. So it potentially could weather an attack or two. Uh, probably not two, but it could potentially weather an attack. Uh, It'd be really and, good and if it survived two, though. Dude, that would be insane, bro. <laughs> so that's kind of where where you know you're seeing a lot of these Lost Box players still playing Lost Box, but instead of playing a more turbo build or instead of playing a Kyogre build, they're playing a deck that's a little bit more resilient in the late game, and that's going to be your your Giratina V-Start. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great assessment. I So I want to dive more into Giratina specifically, as it's been sort of the poster child, in my opinion, for the post-NAIC metagame. So why don't we take a quick break, go to the card of the day, and thank our sponsor, and then we'll talk about Giratina generally and, and where we think it falls at the World Championship. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So, card of the day. I was looking through some old world's winning lists, and I was just trying to find a fun card that had won in the past that we <laughs> hadn't talked about before. Uh, this was from a world championships. I remember just being there for the final match and very vividly just having my jaw drop at what was occurring. It was just a very distinct memory this year um, with the two decks that were being played and just how the finals all played out that I just wanted to highlight one of the cards from that deck, that winning deck. So uh, here's the flavor text. It appears when it senses an impending natural disaster. Ooh. As a result, it was mistaken as a doom bringer. Gotta be Absol. Gotta be Absol. You are right. This is a Pokemon that deserves a non-mega evolution. Absol with the Cursed Eyes ability. This was played in the Mega Audino deck of 2016. <laughs> oh, yeah. Worlds. An unbelievable deck that really just came out of nowhere. I don't think... You know, frankly, you and I and our group doesn't have anything that comes close to this deck for the 2023 worlds but this deck <laughs> <Definitely> was wild <laughs> it had mega audino 
and I mean, really, that was the main attacker. And what the Mega Adino did was it could snipe Pokemon on the bench, and that was really good because Lost March was was you know a very Lost solid March. Deck. Excuse me, Night March. There we go. Night March was a very solid deck at this World Championships, <laughs> as were a lot of other decks that had set up Pokemon. You think about the, um, you know, like Froakies and things of the Greninja deck, right? So sniping damage was and two very shot relevant. with a and two shot Shaman with a the thing as well. Oh yeah, and two shot Shaman exactly. So um, very very strong. Did 110 base damage, and then if you played a supporter, you could also do 50 damage to one of your opponent's bench Pokemon. That's the Mega Audino. So you have all this damage uh, spread on the bench with the Mega Adino, and then you want to like clean up the Pokemon that you have spread all that damage to. So in comes Absol with the Cursed Eyes. You could snipe two separate Pokemon that had like 60 HP or less. Uh, you know, again, thinking of the Night March matchup. And then you could Cursed Eyes and then snipe the other one, and you could take three prizes over the course of two turns. And, um, or excuse me, what? Two prizes... Well, I don't know, probably more you're attacking into the active. Like you're taking two additional prizes over the course of taking a lot of prizes. Yeah, dude, the pri the amount of prizes you're taking is like insane. But anyway, <laughs> the Absol with the cursed eyes. This is actually not a foreign, like it's kind of a remake to an Absol EX, which also did well in like 2006. And that I'll have to I'll have to go back and look up, but with the Another deck that did spread damage uh, with the Jolteon EX. He had Absols to move around damage, but I just always thought, wow, it's kind of crazy. You think about some of these cards that have been in world championship winning decks that are just kind of kind of goofy, a little funky. And for yeah, me, definitely. That's, that's this Absol. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. When you were talking about funky cards, I thought you were going back to like, Oh, four or something, you know, because mm. the decks were just funkier back then. <laughs> they were built funkier. <laughs> they were allowed to be built funkier. Yeah. <laughs> but that is 100% a great funky card and a great funky deck, honestly. You know, crazy like meta call, meta read by. Uh... Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Man, it's just, I, I do hope we see something like that at this world. I hope I'm not kind of on the on the receiving end of a strategy like that at this world championships but mm -hmm. man i don't know will we ever see another mega audino with the way the online tournaments go these days where things seem to be changing so rapidly and, and new strategies found out all the time but yeah that absol was a really cool piece of that uh surprising 2016 world's winning deck by uh shintaro ito yeah huge shout out to shintaro for crushing it at the world championship Okay, well, before we talk about Giratina, let's go ahead and quickly thank our sponsor for this week's episode. So in case you were unaware, the Tag Team Pokemon podcast is sponsored and with, by our presenting sponsor in Manscaped. Manscaped's been an awesome partner to the cast, and we've really appreciated working with them. And truly, we wouldn't be endorsing these products if we didn't think they were truly worthwhile Shadeem and I both love a, a wide variety of their things. Some of the highlights for me personally, the ear nose hair trimmer have come in clutch recently. Get those stray little nose hairs out of there. Um, but And of course, I love the Beard Hedger. I used it just last week to, to clean myself up to see the Barbie movie. Since Ken doesn't have a beard, it wouldn't make sense for me to go with a beard. And of course... The tag team is a huge fans of the Boxers 2.0. They're so, so comfortable. They're my favorite pair of underwear in my drawer, and I highly recommend you check them out. And that's among a, a slew of other products that help you take care of yourself, which really, who doesn't like doing that? So, JB, why don't you tell our listeners how they could benefit from our partnership with Manscaped? Absolutely. You guys are in for a real treat. You can head on over to manscaped.com. And since we're partnered with Manscaped, you guys will get your own discount. Yes, if you use code tag team at checkout, you're going to get 20% off plus free shipping. Now I leave for Japan in a little over a week. And you can bet the first thing, the first item that I'm putting in my bag are the manscaped boxers so make sure you stay comfortable make sure you stay well shaven uh, clean fresh with all of the manscaped products go on over to manscaped.com use code tag team at checkout you're going to get yourself 20 percent off plus free shipping 
Thank you so much to Manscaped for sponsoring the cast. And thank you so much to all of you for checking them out. Okay. So the world championship again, just around the corner. I want to say again, the, the star of the format as we've been post NAIC pre-worlds has absolutely been Giratina V-Star. It's been picked up in droves, particularly by Arceus and Lost Box decks. You referenced a lot of the strengths of the card earlier, right? You have the higher HP without a weakness, so it's a little bit harder to actually immediately respond to it. It has that one-hit knockout potential, both with its baseline attack and with its V-Star power as well, if you're playing a more of a Lost Box-oriented Giratina deck. There's just so many things that are kind of going for it. I I think there's, you know, maybe a couple questions on people's minds. First is why wasn't this a presence at NAIC versus now leading up to the World Championship? You can even listen back to the to the cast. You know, I had mentioned Giratina and and we were pretty soft on it. We thought it it wasn't quite the play. Um and then what has changed since then? that makes Giratina now an awesome pick. Well, I think one of the things that scared me off of a Lost Box Giratina list is that a lot of players heading into NAIC were, were really high on Turbo Lost Box. And obviously, if you have mm-hmm. a Pokemon that takes longer to set up in a mirror match, you know, quote, I say quote unquote, but if you're playing the loss on Tina into turbo loss box, they're more than likely going to be taking the first knockout. And they're more than likely going to be able to trade, you know, relatively favorably into whatever you're trying to set up. So I didn't like that Giratina had that frustrating again, quote unquote, mirror match into turbo loss box. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think what really scared me away because a lot of players were opting to go with in the weeks leading up to NAIC and at NAIC opting to go with this more streamlined turbo list for lost box. So that's one of the reasons that just didn't love Tina, but this is a classic example of how a metagame shift can influence players deck choices. So with turbo lost box, you know, running up into the wall, the meat wall presented by Arceus decks, for instance, and just not having the firepower in the late game, having to rely on getting a turn one Dragonite knockout that really doesn't come all that frequently as the only win condition against a an Arceus deck. The Lost Fox players have to adapt and you have to, you know, change something up in order to win. And so with the influx and the rise, the general, you know, improvement of Arceus lists and uh the the just kind of rise of arceus as as an archetype you're seeing that okay it's decreasing the amount of turbo loss box players a bad matchup for tina and makes tina much better into an arceus metagame yeah i think that's a really succinct way of putting it right is there's this chain reaction arceus has bullied out a lot of the standard lasso box variants and giratina can keep pace right it has that knockout potential even against a like a duraludon giratina can take a one shot with its v-star power so it's an obvious include to try and pivot the matchup a little bit given that the more turbo variants aren't really able to keep up with arceus um so i think that's that's totally on nail on the head moment there i guess does that potentially open the door at all for a turbo lost box variant to be viable if Giratina is now so popular? Or would you not recommend doing that because like there's still that Arceus as a prime force in the metagame? Yeah, it's just that's a really interesting question because it and it I mean, as much as we can speculate, I, I think we're still pretty high on Arceus as just being that very consistent archetype and it already has won a world championship like arceus is not like a new unknown deck or kind of a relatively new deck like a gardevoir is for instance so like it worked last year to take a high placing arceus deck make a few modifications and just play it at worlds so i see a lot of players just doing something similar this year 
Um, so with that said, you know, I, I do feel like Arceus is still in the mix as like a top three deck. And I think it'll be, you know, one of the top three most played decks at Worlds. And I just don't love Turbo Lost Box into that sort of metagame, even if, you know, Arceus decks are like number three on the top three, like potentially playing against two of those in day one of worlds or two of those in day two of worlds. Like it's just not a great matchup and not something that um, I really think you have a lot of outs to. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe you could play like Zapdos or something like that would be kind of interesting. I, I wouldn't uh, put it past players to in their lost box list, start playing a little more off the wall text to try to counteract Arceus and give themselves one shots in that early game such as with Arceus but I still just don't see it as being a great play yeah so that's not to say that Lost Box has been completely alone though we have seen Arceus Giratina cropping up a little bit more what is you know the inclusion of Giratina into Lost Box is sort of a straightforward narrative right where you have this chain of reactions in the metagame evolving what is the the deciding factor for arceus that makes giratina appealing um i guess well or maybe alternative question why would you opt to play giratina over a different alternate attacker in arceus i mean well so yeah the thing that would make me want to play something else over Giratina and an Arceus deck. I mean, if you're thinking about Arceus Umbreon, there's, so there's like Arceus Umbreon as a core, and then like Arceus Giratina. And Arceus Giratina, I think, you know, 55 of the 60 cards are pretty much there. And then you're deciding like, well, do I want a Charon's Care? Or, you know, do I want a fourth Judge or something? You know what I mean? Like you're making very small tweaks to a very, very established archetype. Whereas... Arceus Umbreon, you could go a few different ways. You could play a fighting attacker. You could keep it as Duraludon. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you opted to go like Arceus Umbreon Giratina, one of those, one of the reasons you may not want to do that is you just end up running out of energy in the late game, or or you certainly can run out of energy, right? If you, um, you know, do your first attack with the Arceus. If if that goes down and you're not able to accelerate twice, mm-hmm. then you're usually left with a three energy Giratina. And then you're struggling to find your last, you know, four, pri- four or five prizes with one Giratina. So, you know, that would maybe be a reason that, that I wouldn't play Arceus Giratina. Umbreon. Like if if you're running into decks that you feel like are getting a solid turn two that are knocking out your Arceus before you can get uh, enough energy on the board, that would make me reconsider that deck. So is Giratina a prime secondary attacker for you in Arceus, or are there others that you know you find more reliable or that you know, where is that on your hierarchy? I mean it depends. I, I think right now, like if I'm looking at Arceus decks, I, I don't disrespect the Arceus Giratina judge path combo. Um, I, I don't disrespect that at all. I think that's, you know, just a, a decent strategy. You know, it's been proven to work and you have Bibberol to draw cards and, you know, presumably you can have a lot of control over your opponent's board if you're playing these elevated counts of, of boss's orders. But um, I, I think that, you know, the Giratina is best played at this point in time, from my testing, it's best played in Lost Box. Um, I, I don't... I, I've played a, a lot with Giratina. Again, we just keep coming back to this card. I've played a lot with Giratina in a lot of different settings. And and the uh, the deck that I like it most in right now is in Lost Box. And, you know, you could try to jam it in with, uh, with other Arceus decks. You know, you could try to jam it in this Arceus Giratina Umbreon. But um, I think it maybe works best in a core of, of Lost Box. I am inclined to agree. Yeah. So I think that clearly is out the narrative there and what our thoughts are when it comes to, to Giratina. My last question for this week's episode, are there any black sheep on your radar as we look ahead to worlds? Are there any misfit toy decks that you've been tinkering with? 
Yeah, great question. Because certainly, I mean, you, we talked a little bit about the fringe decks last week. And one of them that I brought up was Maridon. And we put a little bit of time into Maridon and trying to figure out, okay, is there a Maridon deck that could stack up and we found you know what Maradon has an amazing Arceus matchup like you are just taking that turn one knockout probably 70% of the time against Arceus and that's just like an immediate win condition um, if you go second taking that first one first turn knockout and then of course if you go first then you have a whole extra turn to get energy into play so that's just really um, a fine matchup. And if I expected a lot of Arceus decks, if I expected like half of my rounds to be Arceus, I think that's certainly on the table. Um, a a Maridon deck for me. So I think that is kind of my my dark horse at this point. And, and I, I'd be curious to hear if you have any things that maybe in the back of your mind you've been thinking about, but maybe haven't really tried yet. There's still like a small part of me that that rings out and says Mew is a viable pick for the world championship. <laughs> you know, you see it win these t- these tournaments overseas over and over again, and you're like, that could be me. <laughs> I could be the guy winning a tournament in Japan with Mew. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yep. I don't think that's necessarily a a well informed choice. But man, like there is that part of me that's that reaches out and wants wants me to reach back to me uh i think realistically arceus is kind of where my heart's at right now for the world championship just because it's such a reliable play and that's something i i put a lot of value in especially at day one of worlds uh but certainly in general for the experience isn't it kind of interesting though i mean because i think with with worlds and and this world's in particular And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this world's in particular, it feels like there is a hyper emphasis uh, with like most decks on like a really good turn one, turn two. Yeah. And Mew certainly offers that. Right. And so how much do you think people are going to be respecting Mew? Because that, I mean, that's a really great question. Like if we knew, I mean, to be honest, I don't think they're going to like, super crazily because yeah you hasn't been sh- at least west western players well i don't think um you know the mu hate feels low right now um and of course these arceus ducks can slot it in very easily they can but is mu really top of mind for a lot of people i don't think so you know it's it's not super visible in a lot of these tournaments online it hasn't been like crushing league cups or anything. You're not seeing a lot of tweets about Mew. Like, is it really on a lot of people's radar to the extent where they're like, yeah, I'm going to devote one of my 60 cards to this. And I think the answer to that question is, is at this current moment, no, but it's still a gamble, right? Like regardless yeah. of whether the answer is yes or no, that is a gamble that you're taking. Yeah. And that do you want that's like anxiety inducing right like (laughs) yeah do you want to risk it on mew and there can just be those games where it's like oh you know i i flip over my genesect and my opponent goes for the spirit tomb and i and that's it yeah you know lose yeah exactly yeah and it's like you have to be willing and comfortable to like put yourself in that position to play mew and i might be too much of a coward (laughs) you know I hear you, man. It's um, it is one of those questions that we'll only really know in hindsight. Yeah, it's one of those things is like, well, if I could have access to every player's list and I could see, oh, only you know five percent of players are playing Spear Tomb, you know, or you know, I, obviously it, it will probably be more than that. But I'm just saying, like, if I could find out the exact percentages, <laughs> yeah. it would make me more inclined to play the deck. Um, Agreed. You know, one of the other things I, I think about when I think about the Spear Tomb tech is just how little I'm seeing Lugia be played mm-hmm. um, in terms of amount of players. It's still cropping up and doing fairly well. Um, there was that Asia tournament where it won. Um, and then there have been some online tournaments where it's, you know, placed like relatively consistently in the top eight, yeah. but it's not a very heavily played deck. I think a lot of players aren't respecting it, but we've always talked about Spirit Tomb as being a very soft, like extremely soft counter. 
to Lugia, but they just don't get to use their Luminion. To and that does that. make a difference. Yeah, no, it does. It does. But, um, you know, if Lugia is not being played and Mew is not being played, like the two matchups that I really think about Spiritomb doing something in, mm-hmm. does that make those better plays because no one will play those cards because they're not performing well. You know, it's just this weird roundabout that happens with that kind of logic. Oh, I'm totally with you, man. I, I think I personally might be too much of a coward, but I think there's something there personally. (laughs) Yep. Someone less cowardly than me, take up the mantle. (laughs) Well, and it is interesting too, because you think about, um, the the path decks um and again i'm gonna like uh, i'm gonna he's gonna watch out guys he's gonna mention giratina again but you you think about the path decks that um you know are are playing giratina that could potentially take that one shot while also you know they they may or may not play spear tomb but they have that one shot potential in the late game um and can also iono or roxanne path to like really destroy me like that is also like a soft counter to me like does Mew already have a very um harsh meta game without players playing the um without players playing the spirit tomb i don't know i i'm inclined to to think so just because of how the how the uh you know how the games have gone that i've played with Mew into into giratina loss on giratina see i feel like historically the the matchup to onto Giratina wasn't that, you know, I guess the path is kind of the new factor, but it hasn't historically been that bad unless they played the, the Drapion as well, you know? Yeah, right, right. The Drapion obviously in the past has been extremely good, but I, I think more so now than what I've seen in the past is, and it's just a single count of a card, but it means that you're more easily able to expend it early game. And that's playing three path versus two. Yeah. It means that you're, probably going to get an early game path and then also you know you would expect a, a late game path as well so i mean that's just something to think about i've been seeing a lot of giratina lists go for you know that that elevated count of path as opposed to in the past we might have seen you know one path or or two path and a temple or something like that so yeah. um, you know that, that's that's certainly something to consider too well i think it's it's going to be an exciting ride over the next two weeks as we continue to prep and get into the weeds and then we'll be playing <laughs> just right after that. So I'm excited for the ride. I'm excited to go on it with you. And I'm so excited to take a visit over to Japan. I, and I know you feel the same. So thank you all so much for listening. If you want to check us out on social media or follow us as we head to the world championship and go on our adventures, be sure to do that. The best place to do that is on x.com i guess <laughs> uh, the artist formerly known as twitter where <laughs> jw goes by real john walter uh, my tag is smiles with riles and you can find the podcast at tag team pokemon we also record live every single week at twitch.tv slash munner and jw is also a regular on streaming at his twitch channel flex daddy righteous Again, thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate every single one of you and wish you all the best of luck in your prep for the World Championship. And we'll catch you next time. Peace.